This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the scene. It's the first minute of the Stacey West podcast, and you're listening to your host, Gary Hutchinson, as somebody double dips on your chicken McNuggets or whatever it is. Yes. The McDonald's adverts are back, full of life and full of vigour. There's a post-roll, a mid-roll and a pre-roll. If that doesn't get you buying McDonald's, I don't know what will. Um, so picture the actual scene. It's episode 280 of the Stacey West podcast. I am your host, Gary. I missed out on Thursday through not being well. I'm still not well. Um, you may hear it on my uh, voice, so apologies for being low energy. Hopefully the energy will be picked up by Mr. Stats himself, uh, Chris Lamming. How are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm all right. Um, I'm actually a little bit under the weather myself, to be honest. So um, hopefully we're not going to be too low energy today. Uh, but yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. A little down, I suppose, after after yesterday, even though it was in isolation, a pretty good performance, a decent result against a decent side. Um, but yeah, playoffs are over now, aren't they? Well, if you listen carefully... That's our playoff hopes. Slowly being escorted to the ring by their manager, Paul Bearer. Um, <coughs> yeah. So I prepared that sound effect. Especially. That's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. So as far as I am now concerned, our playoff hopes are going to over the rainbow bridge, as people say, when it's a doggy or getting buried or doing whatever, they're being cremated. They have gone, in my opinion. Lincoln City will be a League One team um, next season. And I don't think that we went out. I mean, mathematically, it could still happen. So people might be saying, yeah, well, you're, you're being negative. Blah, blah, blah. It may it could still happen. Mathematically, it could still happen. That Stevenage side are not going to drop eight points. And then another however many points we drop between now and the end of the season. It's not going to happen. They're not set up for dropping all that many points. They're perhaps not set up for winning all that many points, if I'm honest. Um, but weaker teams than us will fold. So, yeah, 
we're cutting straight through the chit chat. None of that rubbish here. We're going straight to Lincoln City nil, Stevenage nil, and as you say, the end of our playoff hopes. Yeah, I think so. Um, I allowed myself to get excited for a week. That was nice. Um, and you know, we had something genuinely, like genuinely to play for, didn't we? And um, yesterday's game, going into it, was the first time for a long time I've gone into a game where it really feels like there's, there's actually something on this. Um, you know, never at the point did we feel that we were genuinely going down at any point, even under Mark Kennedy when we was in our sticky run last season, even even under Michael Appleton when we had a, a little flirt with that kind of lower part of the table. At no point really in the last few years, to be honest, have I really seriously felt like we're in threat of being in a genuine relegation battle. And of course, apart from the playoff season, which we didn't have the luxury of being in the stadium for, we haven't really had a, a game which felt like really big um, in terms of the result. Now, we've had big games in terms of big opposition. It's a big game when you like the likes of Sheffield Wednesday and Derby come to Central Bank. But in terms of, yeah, something really riding on it. Um, and I was excited about that. That's what football's all about, isn't it? And we've been, we've gone from being a, against Exeter a couple of weeks ago, basically a game played by two teams that were going to finish mid-table. That's how it felt. Uh, to a game going into this where I felt, it was a big game when there was something genuinely riding on it. And that was nice. It was nice to have that experience and that kind of edge to the game. Um, obviously, we didn't get the result we wanted. Um, but ultimately, I think that does put an end to our semi-realistic playoff hopes. Because I, th- I thought if we if we did win yesterday, we really were in in the running and in the mix. But I just think there's there's a little bit too far to go now, like you say, because it's a six-point swing on Swedenage, isn't it? You know, if you if they win, obviously that's game over. Anyway. If we win, it's 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 three points for us and, and zero for them. And you kind of reel them in a little bit. But with the draw, you know, they, they get an extra point, we get a point, and we're no better off in that regard. It's them yeah. occupying that last playoff spot. So, like you said in the intro, we just can't I just can't see Stevenage dropping eight more points than we do between now and the end of the season. Like you say, they're they're not set up to drop many points. And it's going to take a really, really good attacking team to to break them down. Um, we're not going to be too, I don't think we're going to be too positive about Stevenage, but you have to be honest and say that, you know, the style of football they play means they are difficult to play against and not many teams are going to score many goals against them. So, yeah, for me, playoffs, done. I'm going to disagree with you. I do think there has been a game at Sinsel Bank with plenty riding on it. Um, and it was Michael Appleton's season when we played Cheltenham, I think, on the Easter Monday. Um, because in the second Michael Appleton season, I did genuinely feel that there was a possibility that we could go down. Didn't feel it under Mark Kennedy at all last season. There was plenty of people saying sleepwalking into relegation. I never felt that was going to happen. I felt that defensively we were solid enough. Um, but that second Michael Appleton season, probably the most disappointing Lincoln City season, um, certainly since 2010-11 in terms of expectations, uh, because we expected so much from it coming out of the playoff final against Blackpool and you know on paper good good signings and look history's proven actually one or two of those signings in that summer Ted Bishop um Alas Sorensen for instance both coming to the club still mainstays of the first team right now it wasn't as bad a transfer window as, as people think because we signed Chris McGuire I mean Louis Fiorini came in on loan superb um, wherever he is now, he's probably wherever Michael Appleton is. He's probably in Michael Appleton's front room at the moment, operating his television because that's the only thing he can do for Michael um, right now. So, but in terms of um, having something riding on it, traveling in an upwards trajectory, you've probably got to go back 
to the title winning season in uh, 2018-19. And then it would be, I mean, which one would it be the home games? Because by the big ride, the, the one the most riding on, it was MK Dons away, wasn't it? Um, I think, yeah. I don't remember a big game in that season because they come quite late on usually, don't they? The big games where yeah. something's riding on them. And I don't know what, I'm sure there's others that I've forgotten about, but the one that this felt most similar to, this is going to feel probably really weird to you, is Tranmere at home in the National Week Living season. Okay, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, a it's like, game right, as well. You had, a, you had a real kind of big game feel about it. Like, like we've kind of gone from having a bit of hope to hang on. We really could do something here. And it, that's kind of the the, the, the felt the feeling that I had going into this. And um, yeah, I, I think going into this, there was, there was definitely hope rather than expectation, though, wasn't there, in terms of the result? I know. Do you think... Uh, do you think a tight game? Any feelings going into the game were replaced by feelings of mild dread uh, where I was sitting at two o'clock in the afternoon because once again, like a bad penny, the spectre of injury, the ghosts of injury past have come knocking on the door at Sinsel Bank. Um, and when we get injuries, why does it have to be all players in the same position? You've got Ethan Hamilton injured. Jack Burrows, who had played central midfield and could adequately cover in a holding midfield role, injured. Conor McGrandles, you know, we say, no, he might be a doubt, injured. Danny Mandroyu, who arguably would have played yesterday if he hadn't been fit. I think we could debate that all day long, but I think you know, if he had been fit, I think he may have played in place of Moylan, injured. So that's potentially four players who would have played in a central midfield role who didn't play. Uh, and so the fifth man... Jack Moylan named. I, I, what I've seen of Moylan up to yesterday, I'd liked, but for me, there was a little bit of a question mark over his physicality. I thought he was a boy that might get bullied a little bit. He needs six months in the English game, et cetera, et cetera. So I was concerned. We'll come to that in a minute because that's not how it turned out. But when are we, when are we going to get three or four games in a row where we're not looking at the team sheet, worrying about who's not playing? Yeah, I know. It's just, just so bloody unfortunate isn't it because you know on transfer deadline day we signed Colin McGrandles I think all of us feel okay that's really sensible it's not massively exciting but it's really sensible and then when Ethan Hamilton picks up his knock um, a couple of weeks ago whenever it is McGrandles gets into the team think brilliant that, that's why we signed him it's for this exact situation um, and you kind of think yeah good recruitment that's sensible you've got almost a like for like replacement in terms of their style um, certainly similar Problem solved. And they're both out. That's just that's just bad luck. You can't do anything about that. That is just rotten luck. And we had that, of course, earlier in the season with Ben House and Tyler Walker. And yeah, I think you mentioned this a few weeks ago when you looked at the injury stats. So compared to the league average, and we're fine, um, aren't we? Compared to the average, it's just just bad luck that it seems to be the same part of the pitch where you yeah you lose your first and your second choice if you like for that for those two positions on the pitch and. It's just bad luck. It's just bad luck. But um, as it turned out yesterday, like Jack Modern performed admirably. I thought he was really good yesterday. Really, really impressed me. Um, but yeah, when the team sheet came out, you think, bloody hell. You know, it, it, yesterday was the sort of game where you wanted to have a strong bench in it and you could really make a change off the bench and have, have that depth because they have, they made one point where they made four substitutions. And, you know, there was a, it didn't really work out for them in regards to really creating a lot, but it, they had the option to do it, didn't they? And Let's be honest, we, we've had that in the last month or so, on and off at times. But yesterday, we we didn't really have that depth at all. No, 
Um, so we're talking about coming out. The team shoot came out. We were disappointed. The players came out for the first 15 minutes. It was actually quite the opposite for me um, because I was really impressed with how we started the game and a majority of our XG, ding, 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 10 minutes in. Um, but majority of our XG actually came in those first 10 minutes in a couple of chances where Rico's put one wide. Um, I think Ben House has gone for an overhead kick, which has gone out you know, quite quite horribly. But there was all, most of our XG was concentrated, I think, in that period. I thought we came out with a really good tempo. And do you know what? I think that's what we needed to do, because I think if you're going to beat Stevenage, you've got to get a goal early. You've got to make them then need to come out, need to do a little bit more, um, which they didn't. So I was really impressed with how we started the game. Um, and it had that big match feel. Credit to Stevenage's fans, and they won't be listening to this, and they certainly won't be reading me on Twitter anymore because I think I, in my uh, Mardi illness, I alienated one or two of them um, last night. But I thought that they their, their fans were quite loud. They travelled in relatively good numbers. Sometimes these kind of these non-league teams, um, and let's face it, that's what Stevenage were up until fifteen years ago. Sometimes these non-league teams, when they come into the football league, they travel badly. You know, they bring two hundred who make a bit of noise like Fleetwood, but nobody else in their town gives a crap. You know, I, even the, the manager's wife probably, when he gets home, goes, you know, oh, how did you do, love? Oh, really, that was nice. Like, yeah, you know, like Steph does to you probably when rugby have played. It's that same level of interest. But actually. Stevenage was supported like a, a you know, decent side. Um, and I thought that we coped quite well in the first 15, 20 minutes with whatever threat there they had. I mean, they had one threat. Um, and I think I said that he's got more elbows than the birdie song at an 80s wedding, uh, Mr. Reed. But yeah, it was, it was positive, wasn't it? It just felt like mate, the players have got the message. And I think the players, we can see now every game when we go out that we have a plan. Most of the times that plan is tailored not only to what we've got available, but also to what the opposition are going to threaten. And and I think we're starting games really well. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a real fixture of us under Michael Scubala, particularly in the last few weeks. It's starting games quickly and start, starting games really positively as well. I'm really very much on the front foot. Um, you know, we've obviously got an early goal against Shrewsbury, an early goal, albeit gifted against Port Vale. But we've had good starts in a lot of games this season. Um and it seems to be a real kind of message coming from the manager that that's how we all want to start games. Let's, let's imprint ourselves on the games. And, you know, statistically, if you score the first goal, you're so much more likely to win the game. I know that's not rocket science, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Try and get the first goal. Um, and it almost takes the opposition's game plan almost out the window a little bit because, you know, you generally have your game plan for, for nil-nil, don't you? And, and how are you going to try and over, overcome that challenge? So, yeah, I was really impressed with this in the first few minutes. And, I felt like we was going to be in for a real kind of action-packed game, to be honest, after that first 15. It was a really exciting first 15. A lot seemed to happen in that in that time as well. Um, but things did kind of settle down a little bit after that, and it became a little bit stodgy, might be the best word. Very stop-start. But that is, that's how Stephen Lynch play football. That's that's kind of what they want. And sometimes it's that's unavoidable. You can't stop it. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes there's elements that can be avoided. I think maybe not not often, but once or twice we maybe just fell foul a little bit of their dare I say antics. Um, you know, their aim is to to stop the game. Basically, it's to play for three kicks, throw ins, set pieces, and to stop us having any real sustained possession in the middle of the pitch. To stop us any opposition creating anything with kind of 
like sustained possession or anything that's kind of really kind of free flowing. As soon as you get a chance to break or get a chance to kind of thread a ball through, someone gets hacked down. And like, don't get me wrong, like they works, doesn't it? And Bolton are masters of that. Bolton also have that other element of it. They could they can play the football themselves, whereas Stevenage are basically half a Bolton. Can't. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. So the first 15 minutes, RXG was 0.58. There's was zero. For the final 75 minutes of the game, RXG was 0.68. There's was 0.4. So the best spell for us came in the first 15 minutes. You've touched on their antics first, not me. So everybody that was giving me hate on the internet yesterday, um, it's Chris's fault, but he's now started me off. So I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to... I was um, incandescent with rage and utterly exasperated at the way that Stevenage played the game. And like there was a lot of likenesses drawn by some people between that and Danny Cowley's Lincoln of a couple of years ago. And the similarities for me are at best that they play a direct style of football, the midfield are more there probably to win the ball back with Stevenage, whereas I think Danny Cowley's midfield did actually occasionally get involved with creating opportunities. So I can see why people say the similarities. Um, you know, Steve's antics, Steve, we'll call him Steve, our mate Steve, Mr. BMI, um, his antics on the touchline are probably not dissimilar to Danny's at times, berating the officials and all that sort of thing. The only difference is that he does suffer with his weight and that makes him more of a target. I'm not going to make anything weight-based apart from the Mr. BMI thing that I wish I just did and wish I hadn't because at the end of the day, physical form isn't something I'm going to take the piss out of. Being a prick is, and that's what Steve Evans is. I'm happy to do that and I'm not going to use a, a size-based prefix to the word prick. Certainly not when we advertise McDonald's um, on the <laughs> podcast. I hope he's not listening. I might tip him over the edge with that. Um, but there's things that Stephen Ish did that I really didn't like. Um, the first is the, the number I was watching them probably a little bit better, closer than I should for certain things. Um, and I've been really critical of elbows over the last few weeks. We had, you know, elbows, um, Stockley a couple of weeks ago, smashing J, uh, Adam Jacko's nose. Uh, last week, I can't remember who we played now, last week, there was an elbow, um, which absolutely infuriated me and a guy didn't get sent off, Ryan Bowman. Jamie Reed. I mean, is this something that, that certain centre-forwards have? Because, you know, Reed took out Lucas Jensen mm -hmm. um, and he, he wasn't even looking at the ball. Jensen was going for a routine catch. And, and behind me, someone, I think it was my dad, said, oh, he's entitled to go for that. He's not entitled to go for that because he's not going to get the ball. He's gone in to injure the goalkeeper. And in the second half, the boy they brought on, and I can't think who it was. I think I think it was one they brought on. done exactly the same thing. Um, so it's obviously... It was Verdane uh, Oliver came on, didn't Was he? it Verdane Oliver? Because the first thing Oliver did when he came in was smash, on, was smash Rowan with a, yeah. with a forearm before he had even touched the ball. And I... I don't think Danny Cowley's team did that. And you can talk about Shrewsbury in, in the Czech Trade Trophy final and draw that parallel. But that was, in reality, that was a one-off. We didn't see an awful lot of Matt Reed doing that, I don't think. And I'm happy to be corrected. But it was all over the pitch. What they were really good at was blocking runs. And that was like Danny Cowley's side. And I was watching more times than I cared to remember, not watching the ball, watching one of our players be held or blocked off the ball and, and they got away with it. I buy that. Do you know what? That is the dark arts. That's what Bolton do well. When the ball goes out of play, it's the referee's job to hurry that up. And that never happened. They were... Not I go back, I go back to 
the whole game. I go back to the Wickham game in 2018. Do you remember that when Wickham needed mm-hmm. a point at our place and we needed to beat them really to be in with a chance of automatic promotion? And they were wasting time within five minutes. And that's what Stevenage were doing yesterday. And I like, I mean, I wrote in my article at one point, I, I got up, I went for a wee, I checked the scores, I came back to my seat and play still hadn't resumed. What does that take? Three minutes, five minutes? And then the referee only added five minutes on at the end of the game. And for each substitution, there should be 30 seconds. Anyway, I'm not going on the referee just yet. And then the other thing that annoyed me is Evans openly telling his teams to cheat. When the referees put the put the ball down, the keeper for a free kick. And for some reason, I looked at Evans and the keeper's back turned. And as soon as it's turned, he's gesturing his keeper to move it 10, 15 yards forward. I don't know. You steal yards at throw-ins, but your manager doesn't tell you to. I, I, I just the whole thing I just found utterly distasteful and then I go online and people are saying well you've got to respect what Evans does I don't I respect a small team like Stevenage being solid I respect them um like Carl Piagini Piagiani mm-hmm. outstanding for me he was the best player on the park for them brilliant in the air commanding everything that he did I respect that but I don't respect slowing the game down when there's eight thousand odd people that paid fifteen, twenty, twenty-five quid or whatever to watch the game. I just and the referee did nothing about it. We had collectively, I think we had um, something like what seven minutes? Did we have two minutes at the end of the first half and five minutes? No, just just, of... just two minutes into the first half, despite some injuries in the first half as well. Yeah, well, it's quite a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, I think the first thing is just to, I, I definitely want to debunk the comparisons between Steve Evans's teams and Danny Cowley's teams. Um, Danny Cowley's teams have so much more um, in terms of an attacking intent than Steve Evans' teams. Um, particularly, you mentioned the midfield. So, hitting the forwards early, absolutely. That's something we did very well under um, Danny Cowley and Stevenage did under Steve Evans. Stevenage played four central midfielders. They play a, a kind of diamond, but it's basically four central midfielders that all move across the pitch together in a in a in a four, um, and their job is solely to win second balls and to block. That's their that's their game. They, they just completely nullify the center of the pitch or the area of the pitch that you're attacking down. And I have to admit, from a defensive perspective, I was actually quite impressed with the organisation they had of how they smothered us in that regard. The amount of times we got the ball into areas and there were uh, and you think, oh. The big switch is on, but there's there's not a, there's not a half a yard to get your foot around the ball so you can hit the big switch. Like they they did it well, but in regards to what is their midfield's job, it is not to create at all. It is to win second balls, be combative, and get the ball forward. Whereas Danny Cowley's Lincoln City, particularly the wide players, their job is to get at the man and get balls in the box. You didn't get that, at Steve Evans. They don't play wide players at all. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of the style, I think it's a little bit reductive just to say, well, they play quite a lot of long balls, therefore. They're the same. They're not the same. Not by any way, shape or form. Um, and I like Danny Cowley and I don't like Steve Evans for obvious reasons. Um, I don't think... I, I, yeah, I can never forgive Steve Evans for, for how he how he conducts himself at Boston. That, you know, everything that we dislike about him, because he's, he's disliked, I think, by pretty much every opposition club. But for us, it's a little bit more personal, I think, because of, you know, there's a real genuine fear, wasn't there? That's it, 2002. Um, we were on our arse in administration. Boston were gaining promotion into the Football League and there's a real fear that we were going to lose our place in the Football League to Boston United. And on the back of them basically cheating their way up. And he was a huge part of that, hence his ban and and Boston's obvious um, 
banned from the National League. Hence, when they got relegated back out of the Football League, they got demoted all the way down to the Northern Premier League rather than just straight back down to the National League. That's him. You know, the guy's an arse. And I don't think, you know, you can be as respectful about getting results on the pitch as you like. And and, and I understand, I don't know, as much as, much as you, you're not happy about that, I understand that take. You can respect the football or at least the results. I cannot ever bring myself to respect the man, ever. No, and, thank you. Um, and that's yeah, and that and that's nothing against Stevenage as a football club. The only thing they've done wrong is hiring him. Um, but it is against Steve Evans, and I could never, ever, ever um, want us to forget that the bloke shouldn't even be involved in football now, let alone um, having this argued success that he's having. What's that horror movie where the antagonist goes from like body to body, taking over, feeding off the host, and then disappearing off into the sunset? That's what he's like. He's like leeching from one team to another, sucking the life out of them. And it becomes the Steve Evans show. And and, and the supporters then get duped. Mm-hmm. The supporters of the team that he's at. And yeah, like Mansfield fans say, they hate him. And he was at Mansfield. Peterborough fans don't like him. He was there. Rotherham, he's a legend. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, but I, I, I just, I, I don't have any respect. And it's all right. Again, people saying, oh, he, he got his customary booking. And he does it to take the pressure off his team and all that sort of thing hate it what i will say is this yesterday i mean you look through the stevenage team you've got uh piagiani you've got um alex mcdonald you've got jordan roberts you've got jamie reed you've got the dane oliver these are players who have all at one time or another not really been deemed good enough to play in league one by different teams jordan roberts wasn't deemed good enough to play in league two by us, Vidane Oliver was playing in the National League five years ago, having come into the Football League. Jamie Reed, am I correct in saying he came from Torquay? Was he yeah. at Torquay? Yeah, I mean, and Alex... he, he was kind of a bit part player, I think, at Mansfield, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, Alex McDonald, the squat little bastard in the middle of the park, you know, I really dislike him. Those people, those players, I've got a, a begrudging amount of respect for because they're competing in a team at, league, at the top end of League One. And in that respect, I can see that they're like a a Danny's team, or even Keith's team, yeah. far greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah. But when you listen to Liam Bridcut's podcast, where Steve Evans didn't even realise they'd changed tactical shape when he was at Leeds, uh, you know, it's not because there's a tactical genius there. It's for me, it's more down to the. It's got to be down to the players. Yeah, absolutely. And even, even Pierre Gianni can go into that conversation. And I agree. I thought he was he was superb yesterday. He's, um, I think he's the player. He's got the highest. Um, aerial success rate in the whole league, and there's no, you know, I don't think he lost a header yesterday, did he? Um, no, it's brilliant. He's bad haircut though. I mean, that, he needs suits suits them though. You know, plays their strengths, and you know, I, I think what's best for us to do now. Let's let's analyze the game rather than the man. You know, we spent we spent a bit of time talking about Steve Evans and the Steve Evans team, but in terms of Stevenage as a team, in terms of the individual players and how they played, um, they had zero point four one xg over the whole game. They never really threatened us at any point. Now, um, there's a stat I always quite like, which is it gives an idea and style. Um, and it's called positional attacks. So it's basically how many times did you try and have an attack, which is basically sustained possession, which was, um, which isn't a counter-attack and it isn't a set piece. So it is a built attack through basically through playing football. Um, so we had 26 um, that we were able to, to, to do. Ten of those resulted in a, in a shot which is, that's a good percentage, that. That's a really good percentage. It's not that many attacks. Um, we had 53 against Fleetwood, for example, so it's about half as many attacks um, as we did against Fleetwood. But, you know, we, 10 of them ended up in shots out of our 13 in total in the whole game. Stevenage, 
only had three shots off the back positional attack. So in the whole game, they had three shots from open play. Um, they had eight shots in total, so that meant five of them were and didn't have a single counter attack. By the way, so every single uh, that resulted didn't have a single counter attack that resulted in a shot. So every other shot was just a, from a set piece, and they didn't create a single shot with an XG of more than 0.1, I don't think, or 0.15, something like that. Um, so basically, like defensively, we were superb, and if there was any team that was trying to win the game and was more likely to win the game. It was us. Our XG was 1.26 to their um, 0.41. But honestly, I think 0-0 is a fair result. I think 0-0 is a fair result on the back of the play. Maybe. I agree. 100%. 0-0 was a fair result because Stevenage came and did what they were, they, were, they were needed to do. They wanted to come and get a point. A point at Lincoln for them is brilliant. It keeps them in the playoff hunt. Orient lost, Oxford lost. It's a, it's a good point for them. If we get that point in November, let's say the two fixtures switched around and this game was the November fixture and we've come away from that game, nil-nil, against that Stevenage team in that position, every single one of us is going, you know, it's a good point. In Even isolation, it's home, yeah. it's in point. isolation, it's a really solid performance against a well-drilled side. Yeah. Um, and it's a good point. And then you go, right, that's great. Another nil-nil. And sorry, another another clean sheet. Let's move on. It's the fact that it was that had that big game feel about it. We we knew that if we was able to win it, that we had a really exciting end of season ahead of us. And yeah, it's it's the 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 scenario um makes it disappointing, not the actual performance. The performance was really good. Just a quick one again on defensive um defensive um solidity, because this this really surprised me. So um the three best teams in League One this season for winning their air, uh, not aerial, their just defensive, so that's all defensive duels. Blackpool uh, win on average 66.5% of theirs. They're first in the league. Stevenage and us uh, joint second on 65.4%. So that's the average over the season. Yesterday, um, we won 78% of our defensive duels. That is enormous. And Stevenage only won 46% of theirs. So we really improved our defensive numbers. And, that's, and they're good already. They're second best in the league. And they massively dropped off. And I think that's credit to, to how we played. And that, that, that goes a long way to show that we did cause them some problems. We did, you know, they, they certainly didn't look massively like ultra rock solid in their back four. The midfield was. But when we got the ball actually into dangerous areas, I think we, we asked a few questions. I really do. Um, but just we were just looking at, just a lucky bounce away, really, from it bumbling in the back of the net and us having a really exciting end to the season. But I'm not sure that's uh, that's the case anymore. Oh, let, so let's pick up what, what I'm going to say is, in your mind now, pick a couple of players from yesterday, only Lincoln only, because I don't, I don't want to concentrate on Stevens anymore. We've done that. It's by the by. I, I am bitter about it. I'm only bitter about it because of the... Oh, the bigger picture rather than the individual results. So we'll park that because I think if I were to say name players and we started naming players and justifying it, I actually think that we would get through a lot of players who had beyond good games yesterday for Lincoln City. 
And you've got to kind of, we're going to be talking about the defence in, in just a moment, but we haven't actually conceded a league goal now in over 400 minutes. And if you take a game at 90 minutes, I think it's marginally less. But actually, the Stevenage game was 98, the Shrewsbury was 99, Port Vale was 100, Exeter was 99. So you're only four minutes shy of 400 minutes there. And then I can't remember how late Charlton scored, but there was plenty of time. So we're over 400 minutes. Excellent. And yeah, I'm going to pick my play, my first player that I want to talk about. I'm going to pick Jack Moylan because I said at the top of the show, I was worried about uh, this kind of lightweight player. He came to us really as a striker, which is where he's impressed by Shelbourne. He's going to be in the midfield. It didn't feel like a square peg in a round hole. It, it felt like we were just trying to shove, you know, like when you're trying to put too much in your suitcase on the holiday, that was how much it didn't fit. You know, doesn't matter how much you try and zip it up, Jack Moylan ain't going to fit in that position. Um, and he did. He was, he was very good in isolation. He was outstanding when you take into context. It was his first start for the club in a in in an unfamiliar position. And I'm not just going to say, oh, he was good because that's not the sort of analysis that people listen to. They want to know why he was good. So why did I think Jack Moylan was good? I thought that he did. Everything that Ted Bishop does when he plays in an advanced position, he got on the ball. He wanted to thread through um, thread through the defence, play through the lines, but he was willing to carry. When he was willing to carry it, he was strong. He seems to have quite a low centre of gravity. You said in the Ivy Club last night, we stopped to have a pint, that his he reminded you a lot of Ben House two years ago in that he got on the ball. Nice, yeah. soft feet, looks after the ball really well. Um, there was a little, i tell you a little bit, that who he reminded me of. And it isn't a particular comparison where people are going to go, he was brilliant for us. But he reminded me a little bit of Billy Knott in that kind of gets on the ball and, and just looked, always looked to want to do something positive. Nobody's going to look at Jack Moylan and go, oh, he passes sideways and backwards too much. And he has an air of the Joe Taylor and the arrogance and the swagger that he's got. He's a young man like Joe Taylor. He's playing regular football in this division for the first time. Not probably like Joe Taylor, but yeah, a little bit. But he just doesn't look like anything phased in. He looked to me like he played 20 or 30 senior games for us yesterday. He didn't look to me like he was making his first start. And when you take, not only was it his first start, not only technically out of position from where we've signed him, but it's also against Stevenage, who are big, are strong, are tough, are going to make you work. I thought he had an outstanding debut. And he was my borderline man of the match, but he didn't get it from me. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant as well. And... I don't think I was as pessimistic as you pre-game in regard to um, in regard to his ability or in regard to his selection, should I say? Because um, for me, what I've seen from him so far is really good attitude, really good work rate. Um, maybe a few things haven't quite come off. Maybe been a little bit rash in decision making or in front of the goal at times. But you could see that, like a bit of a diamond in the rough. Like you could see that. Um, Playing deeper, uh, that was maybe a little bit of a concern. But against Stevenage, you mentioned there the opposition. Like, what do you need? You have to match them in terms of work rate, in terms of aggressiveness, in terms of um, just kind of playing on the front foot and 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 basically getting stuck in. To be honest, in the in the in maybe the the, the kind of the simplest of terms. And um, I didn't I didn't worry that he wouldn't live up to that side of the game yesterday. I thought what I've seen so far is yeah, attitude wise, I think I think he'd stand up to the test. What I didn't know is would the game pass him by a little bit in regard to in possession? Um, what was his positioning be like kind of defensively? Um, and when we got the ball, you know, what was he going to do? Playing out position, just going to keep it short and simple? Or is he going to drive forward? Is he going to make the right decisions in the right part of the pitch? Because as soon as we learned that McGrandles was injured, um, I assumed 
Danny Mandroy would be selected in that central midfield role. Um, and I don't dislike Danny Mandroy as a player. I think I've been probably pretty positive about him, um, probably more so than most people on this podcast recently. Um, but when he played central midfield against Charlton, it just didn't. It just didn't suit him. I just don't think he fitted in that role at all. And you know, against the Stevenage side, I just thought the attributes that Danny Mandroyu has just don't suit that game in that role at all. So I was pleased that it was Morland that would selected. Obviously, probably because Mandroyu would picked up an injury. But I thought in terms of that off ball stuff, I thought you'd get more of it from Morland than you would Mandroyu. Um, but it was, like I said, it was his confidence on the ball that really impressed me. And his, yeah, I think, yeah, confidence probably is the right word. And um, just desire to to get us up the pitch, desire to try and make something happen. And, yeah, it, I was just really impressed with him. And I actually really hope we start to see him getting a few more starts now. And I've been, I would be more than happy now, um, assuming that injuries are longer term. Now, we know Hamilton is, of course, it's just a shame. We don't know about um, McGrandall's yet. Now, we know that McGrandall's been a good player for us, but he's also not our player. Um, he's, he's on loan. I, I'm tempted to think now, let's let's give Jack Mullen run of the team. Let's let him stamp, stamp his impression. He deserves to keep his play, even if McGrandall is fit for the next game. Mullen deserves to play there because he, he played so well yesterday. And you know, if he continues to keep his place in the team, then then why not play our player and give him a chance to, to really build some momentum going into next season? Then was he your man of the match? <laughs> uh, no, Pordy was, but Mullen really he's impressed mine. me. Yeah, Pordy, I think, was mine. Thought he was superb. I think his aerial duel wins were um, outstanding from from memory. I haven't got it in front of me now. Um, I thought Sean Rowan was excellent again yesterday. Yeah. I thought he... Uh, you know what? Not Sean, many Rowan aerial hasn't foot, Sean Rowan hasn't put a foot wrong for weeks now. He's yeah. been so consistent. I've been, I've, I mentioned it every week, but I've just been so impressed with him because you know, now and then in his, in his development earlier in his career, he was always promising, but had a mistake in him. And... Uh, when he did make a mistake in a game, it tended to get the better of him. And he used to then make two and three, which is part of learning. But he hasn't put a foot wrong for, for weeks now. And I think that's his credit to him more than anything. He's made that position his own. And yeah, a really tough test yesterday. And both him and Pordy, well, Alex as well. But I think, um, again, Alex didn't, didn't put a foot wrong either, really. But Pordy's just aerial uh, duels really, really impressed me. I don't think he hardly lost a header against a team where you lose most teams lose headers. Um, yeah, and Sean's just one on one defending once again, and also composure in possession. I thought Sean's on ball decision making more than anything was just really, really good. So, yeah, I agree. Um, a couple of bits of uh criticism of Lincoln City before we move on. Ethan around and Ben House have got to learn when to shut their mouth. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that that doesn't sound too blatant, but uh, we didn't need to pick up. Ethan Rand didn't need to pick up a booking yesterday. Um, and he picked one up as he ran past the referee, which had the referee not then been lenient a little bit later on, could have resulted in him being sent off. Now, Bobby Madley, to be fair, has form here because he's the same referee who booked Brennan Johnson when we played MK Dons and beat him 4-0. And 30 seconds later, Johnson did another yellow cardable tackle and Madley didn't send him off. So he tries not to send players off where he can help it. Mm -hmm. I think had Arahan been booked for a foul in the first half, I think he would have been sent off. Um, I think Ben House, it didn't massively take away from his um, uh, from his kind of uh, combativeness. 
but I think it takes an edge off when you get a book in, as it did for Jamie Reed. You get booked the next challenge you go into, you're thinking, well, maybe if it's Reed, I won't use my elbow or I won't, you know, I'll try and keep my arm tucked in and you're not quite as effective. And I just, you know, Pordy, um, people have criticised. For me, Pordy's been sent off twice this season and at least one of those was entirely unjustified straight red. I don't think that he has an issue with discipline. Somebody said, well, Pordy needs to work it out as well. No, he doesn't for me. But Ethan and Ben do. What they have that edge, that combativeness, that um, kind of getting in at players. I, I buy that. I love that. That's fine. But you've got to learn when to do it and when not. And I just think that was one thing. It kind of brings us back around Stevenage where you, we just got dragged into it a little bit. And I can't remember who it was with Araham. It might have been McDonald, but there was one of the players that Araham was having a constant battle with. And I just thought, you know what? just like Evans has with me or he's got in your head and, and you, you're just beginning to lose it a little bit now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to put it on its head first and then come back to it because I think once they've got a yellow, bar Arahan's, um potential second yellow, which probably is a yellow card if I'm honest, but maybe a little bit rose-tinted glasses. Um, it was a really good recovery run and the players going wide and he took a heavy touch and he's gone down reasonably softly. I think a little clip. I don't I think it's definitely a foul. Maybe it's a yellow. If he's not on the yellow, he gets he gets one for it. But we know we know football isn't as black and white as that. There is always context in these decisions. But I think apart from that, I thought bearing in mind that House and Arahan got yellow cards, they actually managed themselves really well because it's a sort of game where you can imagine a red card coming in and a rash challenging going in. And the fact that they did, and I actually was quite impressed with, but just don't put yourself in that position. Um, if you know, if you if it's a last ditch challenge and the opposition's on the break and you get a yellow card in the first half because you've made like a, a game saving challenge, like a the sort of challenge you hate, um, you know, like a, a professional foul. I got no issue with that at all. When you get booked for just saying something as you walk past the referee, and then it puts you in a really difficult position when you are a ball winning midfielder. Yeah, you're just you're just making the game harder for yourself. And um, yeah, so. I love the edge that, that Arahan and Ben House have. Like we, we were praising Arahan's shitoutery basically against Burton. You know, at one point in the Burton game, the referee was stretching him off. You know, <laughs> giving him his um, yeah, stretching his hamstring out because of his cramp. Like he had the referee around his little finger uh, against Burton. And I think if you take an element of that away from him, then you maybe lose a little bit of his effectiveness. But something as silly as just clearly just saying something as you walk past the referee, just don't say it then. Just don't say it then. Um, but he'll live from is, it. By the way, I have just watched it back on Y Scout. It's a yellow card. It's okay, fair enough. Plate elbow pushing the back, not oh, an elbow, right. as in yeah, it's it's a push. Like, yeah, he's like, he's him over. You mean right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, just, fair enough. Like, all I had to go off was like, he's, yeah, he's reached forward and done it. I mean, it's it's a yellow. And and don't get me wrong, I I think that probably Jamie Reed is quite lucky. I think once or twice as well because he's been, um, you know, he was booked for what I thought was a. You know, a pretty bad challenge and then he's he's made one or two more that he's got away with and there was one or two off the ball I mean Ted took a smash in the face at one point which um, I wasn't happy with but anyway. I would love to know how many times Ted got fouled yesterday by the way yes I could God, probably find that get, out get, get, kept getting hacked down every every moment he had the, on the ball it was just right let's just take him out of the game and I don't you think Ted people are, don't you think people are doing that of course. Specific. Yeah, of course. It makes sense. As an opposition, it makes sense. It's just frustrating. Um, I mean, it's it's good that Ted's got another 90 minutes in him. In spite of that. 
Jamie Reed got booked, but committed two further fouls after that hmm. as well. I mean, okay, there might not have been yellow card fouls, but the, in this day and age, what is a yellow card foul? Well, I think we've seen in League One this season that the def definition of that is far and wide. So no now, one knows, really. I'll give you an opportunity because I know you're a massive referee fan, but Ben <sighs> said that Bobby Madley made it all about him. I thought he did a below average job of a really tough game. I, I I wasn't particularly angry with him. I just felt once or twice that wasn't the right decision. I think it was more of that through the game, but I don't think he made it all about him. I don't think it was him on the whistle all the time. I think he tried to do the best job he could and it was a challenging game. Yeah, you can't you can't make let a game like that flow. That the you know Steve Lewis don't aren't involved in games that flow. And if they ever are, they lose. Uh, so yeah, I think it's an element that I actually said at half time that I felt that the referee was refereeing the game pretty well. Um, both Joe and I, um, Joe who's next to me, we kind of made a comment saying, you know, it's, it's nice to have a decent referee. And then this, it was a second half where I felt there was maybe quite a few inconsistencies coming in. Um, not really at any point was I really kind of angry with the decision he had made. It was just disappointed at times, but it's, you know, I'm going to have a rare moment of respect for a referee that hasn't had the best of games in that that's a, such a tough game to ref. And I think, you know what, even though we feel that there could have been a card here, there could have been a card there, the decision could have gone here and there. Ultimately, it, it, the referee hasn't had an impact on the outcome of the game, I don't think. Yeah, reasonable point. I think just to answer your question as well earlier, Fred was fouled three times yesterday. Um only Ted. once again, or yeah, once again, Shrewsbury, once Ted, once again, Shrewsbury, once again, Port Vale, twice against Exeter, three times against Charlton, five times against Fleetwood, and three against Burton. So, oh. constantly fouled, yeah. uh, eight, 10, 13, 14, 15, 18 times in the last seven games. Ted's been fouled. It shows, uh, uh it shows how much of a danger he is, though, doesn't it? Indeed. Uh, and, and obviously there I went from Ted to Fred. Um, just a quick note, of course, because we talked about injuries. We talk about players being injured, not playing. Fred came on um, and I thought he had a I thought he made an impact. I thought he offered something a little bit different to Joe Taylor. It wasn't really a Joe Taylor type game, I don't think, yesterday. Uh, but I thought Fred put himself about. I actually felt the last 15 minutes were the most productive spell of the game other than the first 15 minutes and the stats may or may not back it up. I'm on a different screen, so I can't say that now. That was the eye test. Jack Mulhall will love that. He loves the eye test rather than the stats test. Um, but yeah, I just felt that, that Fred changed our dynamic up top. Yeah, I think he definitely gave us a threat. I think at that point, the game had got to the stage where neither team was really creating a huge amount either side. It was very much a game of just stop-start and everything was a, a midfield battle, really. And you know, like I said, we started the game really well. And I think Fred gave us that dynamic to then maybe end the game strongly. And if the game did end six, seven minutes later than it than it did, which it should have, by the way, with the amount of added time that there should have been compared to what there really was, then okay. maybe maybe we would have um, been the most likely to get something. And I thought Fred just impressed. I think what's great about this going forward, though, is that we've got three centre forwards there that are all first team quality, that are all very different. Um, ben House, Freddie Draper and Joe Taylor are all very, very different styles of centre-forwards and offer very, very different strengths. Um, and it's nice to have have them all fit again. And that, that gives us a, you know, something really positive going into the rest of the season now. 
Just one last word on Ted then as well. So he's been fouled 18 times, we said, in the last seven games, which over fouls per 90 minutes would actually put him as the third most fouled player in the division. But that's over the whole season. So um, two lads, is it Abue Adams at, not, at Derby? But he's only played seven matches, was fouled 3.5 times. Is the other one is a left, left wing back? Is it Vincent Harper at Exeter? Yeah, yeah, Harper at Exeter, 25 games, 2.77. Uh, and after that, Ted would be level with Ike Piazzu at uh, Port Vale. In actual fact, over the course of the whole season, Ben House is our most fouled player. Um, 16th, 1.95 times per game, which is quite interesting. So I tell you what, why don't I wet your appetite, appetite? <laughs> your appetite for a McDonald's? All I will say is if it is the morning um, uh, you're listening to this and you think I'll get a breakfast wrap, from the McDonald's down at Highcombe, don't, uh, because it was more of a breakfast half-assed fold. I think I tweeted that out. It was just like, you have a breakfast wrap normally from McDonald's. You should be able to hold in your hand and eat like a sandwich. This was, it was just a mess. So let's see what I'm saying. Uh, it might be the uh, the McDonald's roll. I'm sure you're going to love it. We'll go to a break and back in a second. I'm Danny Manjoyo, and you're listening to the Stacey West Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Brilliant. Uh, so here we are back again as a famous Lincoln City blogger, vlogger, whatever you want to call him. Says we put a call out for questions thinking we weren't going to have an awful lot to talk about. 47 minutes. We spoke about Stevenage, which factually uh, is longer than the ball was in play yesterday over the full 90, probably. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll 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 try and be quick, but we'll also try and answer some of these questions um, succinctly. Uh, I will ask them. I will answer every other one. Chris can answer every other one and then we will retort. So, Chris, I will go to you first uh, for the first question from Johnny Benton. Um, McGrandles, do we pay to bring him back for good next year? How long do you want this answer? Well, um, answer it as you see fit. Um, no, is my short answer. And I've been really impressed with Conor McGrandles, by the way, since he's come back. I think he's added something to the squad. But I also think that style of player is replaceable. And I think we can recruit someone of a similar ilk in the summer. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say we go all out for him. If he fits into the wage structure and we've got two or three options and they're all kind of even, then, yeah. 
but I don't think we go all out and kind of say, right, he's the number one priority. I think we have this, there's other players that are as good as Conor McGrandles, as good as he has been. But that style of player, I, th- I think, you know, there's going to be a few of those available in the summer on a permanent transfer. So I would say no. You see, that kind of plays into a question from, and I'm sure this isn't his real name unless he's an Android, uh, but HG505, um, because he said, do you think the club will fork out and buy Alex Mitchell, depending whether Millwall come down? Because uh, if they do, he presumes that they will keep him. Now, it's a similar answer to for me as Conor McGrandles in that, if you were to say to me right now, Alex Mitchell and Conor McGrandles will be Lincoln City players next year, I'll go brilliant because mm-hmm. they are exactly what this club needs. Uh, if you say, are we going to go all out and try and buy, bring these players in? I'm going to say, no, I don't think so. Because again, it's the type of player. And I don't, I'm not being disrespectful to Conor or Alex here because they're both very, very good footballers uh, and they're in slightly different positions because Conor McGrandles is, again, with you know, probably at a later stage in his career, whereas his next move, I think, and some might say his last one, uh, is going to be more money orientated. I think he's going to be looking at what do I do best for my family rather than for my career. Um, whereas Alex Mitchell is a young man who potentially wants to play championship football. He's contracted to a championship club who gave him that new contract in the summer. So I think there's far less chance of us being able to buy Alex Mitchell than there is Conor McGrandles. Personally, I actually think that if if Millwall are, you know, if they do come down, they'll absolutely have Alex Mitchell playing for them next season, week in, week out. If they stay up, there's a chance he goes back and actually fights for a place in their first team anyway. So I actually don't think we go all out to bring either of those players in, not because they're the ones we don't want. It's I don't think a football club in this day and age ever go all out for one player. They'll have their preferred targets for certain positions. And if we don't get the first target, we'll get the second target. Gone are the days where a manager says, you know, takes one player with him everywhere. Okay, Stevenage, again, Alex McDonald goes everywhere. Steve Evans goes, Lewis Fiorini everywhere. Michael Appleton goes, I get that. So it hasn't gone completely. But there won't be a player, I don't think, on Lincoln City's list that they go, he's the one we want. He's the only one we want. That's who we're going to pay for. Because... Uh, on that route, I think, lies financial ruin eventually. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's an unsustainable approach, isn't it? Certainly a well-run club doesn't take that approach. Um, I, I'm with you, though. If you say this time, um, come, or not this time, but yeah, come start of the next season, Conor McGrand doesn't Alex Mitchell are still Lincoln City players, I'd be delighted. I think that's, they're, they're two fantastic footballers that have suited us really well this year. Um, but yeah, just do we go all out for them? Do we kind of break the bank? No, absolutely not. Um you know, every, every player has his price, just like every player is replaceable, no matter how good they are in any team. And yeah, I think, let's be honest, if everybody's fit, Alex Mitchell is not a guaranteed starter. He's done brilliantly. But if you're, even if you're playing the same back three, you've got Rowan, O'Connor and Jackson as a back three. Um, it's great to have Alex Mitchell, who is a ready-made player that can slot into that back three. But you're thinking, if he's not here, it's not like there's a massive hole appearing in our team. Just like if um, Colin McGrandles isn't here, there's not a massive hole appearing in our team because Eden Hamilton plays in there. Um, of course, we're not going to see him to the end of this se- until next season, but that's irrelevant. We're talking about next season now. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably enough on that, on that one question or two questions. But short answer is no. Well, there you go. There's your short answer. Um, so next up, I'm, I'm kind of dipping up and down these questions to try and keep them on a theme. 
Uh, so Liab, who is at Burkid91 on social media, which is Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, I call it the sex bot social media platform now because every single comment I ever put on there, some uh, bot comes on putting something about pictures of their cat in the bio, something um, like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I just, just reminded me of something. So I, uh, I recently just tipped over on X to over to 500 followers, which blew my mind, by the way. Um, and then I looked at them because I had like 10 all at once and they're all very obviously bots and it was a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a very hard. I leave them on there for my ego. So, you know, if they're trying to sell me pictures of their cat, it's brilliant. Uh, right. So Liam says injuries aside, what position do we really need to look in to bring in to make us genuine playoff promotion contenders next season? He would argue we need strengthening at left back, left wing back. I'll throw that over to you. Um, I don't agree. I think if we're playing a back four, Sean Rowan at left back works really well. Um, not as an attacking left back, but as a conservative one when we've got a really forward thinking left wing. Uh, and we've got two players there already, Enrico Hackett and Dylan Duffy, who are more than good enough to fight for that position. And um, are, I think Enrico Hackett is definitely a good enough left winger uh, and or left wing back in this current shape participate and be a starting player in a playoff chasing side so no not i don't agree with left wing back at all ball playing center back uh, i think it's really important for us long term so one that allows us to build uh, really competently from the back um and basically another version of a of a ted bishop so another really technical ball playing center midfielder that can be really creative for us um so they're the two positions i think i think of front two of house and draper with a returning walker and, and and i imagine another lone player potentially joe taylor again i don't think that's completely um out the realms of possibility i think we're all right at the top end we know defensively we're pretty good um what we want to try and imprint ourselves on next season is probably just trying to uh, just our in possession play just just polish that a little bit and i think if you add a couple of technical players into the the nucleus that we've already got i don't i just don't think we're a million miles away at all You've stolen my answer um, because in terms of depth, that's where we need to strengthen. I think take out the lone players now. I think that we are still a top six league one side, genuinely, um, because you have to, you'd, you'd add lone players back in. So if McGrandles goes, we'd have a lone midfielder. If Joe Taylor goes, you know, we're going to replace those players like for like. So in terms of actual strengthening, what I would like and what we need is different. I would like a Rico Hackett on the right. And I know that's kind of lass, I, I, but I don't think that we have the flexibility down the right-hand side that we have down the left-hand side where we've yeah, got I agree. Rowan, Burroughs, Hackett. I'd like to see an attacking wide right-hand side player. I see you've got your hand up. I've been polite. I've been polite. <laughs> I didn't want to talk over you. Um, so I agree with that. because I, I, But I think, you know, at the moment we've, we've got a hybrid back three, back four, um, which works. Um, when we're playing in our back four, though, in our four-four-two shape, there's only one part of the pitch which I always think is is up for grabs, and that is the right midfield role. You know, you want Last to be able to bomb on and, get, and keep doing that and go being our widest, highest attacker. Um, whether he's playing right back in a four or whether he's playing wing back in a five, I think that suits him really well. We need someone that can play right midfield that has that, um, I suppose, dynamism to kind of drift. Yeah positions and to make things happen that's where i see that kind of our, our, our that really creative player um playing because ethan hamilton's played there a bit 
Conor McGrandall's played there against Shrewsbury, for example. They're not square pegs in square holes. That's probably the only part of the pitch where we've where we've maybe in this when we're playing in the four four two shape rather than our three five two. It's maybe been a little bit in imbalanced. Like it works because last bombs on and someone they they took in as a centre midfielder, but probably haven't got a natural in that position. But there's no there's probably no argument as to why Jack Morland can't make that role his own long term. Maybe. Um, so Stu Martin has asked the last 10 game unbeaten run in the third tier. I guess the playoff season under Appleton before then must have been some time. Now, might surprise a few people to know it wasn't the playoff season under Appleton, uh, our last 10 game unbeaten run. Do you have any idea when it was? I think we've had a 10 game unbeaten run under Mark Kennedy, didn't we? We did have a 10 game unbeaten run under Mark Kennedy. And do you know when it came to an end? I remember it quite clearly because I watched it at yours. Exeter away. <laughs> last season. Um, yeah, last season when we lost 2-1. Now, that 10-game unbeaten run consisted of draws against MK Dons, 0-0, Cambridge, 0-0, Portsmouth, 0-0, Cheltenham, 0-0, uh, Forest Green, Derby were one-all draws, and we only won three of them, 3-0 at Accrington, 1-0 at home to Bristol Rovers, and the fortuitous 1-0 win against Oxford United. We then lost three on the spin, Exeter away, Peterborough at home, Fleetwood away, before we went on another unbeaten run, which extended to six games, and we won four of those. So oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, picking up on kind of something you've said, and I'll, I'll answer first of all, this is from James Christopher. Excuse me. The burp there was not induced by saying James Christopher's name. We, we are friends. People think that we are not because we've bantered online. We are friends. Have we seen the last of Tyler Walker in an inch shirt, cut our losses and get someone new? My answer to that is no, absolutely not. I think that Tyler Walker forms a part of our um, attacking plan next season. I think that he will be, once he get, gets fit, I think we'll see him playing semi-regular football he'll be one of three or four depending on if, if we go two up top which we probably will he'll be maybe one of four strikers that are rotating our first choice strike partnership next season I expect to be Ben House and Freddie Draper if we're playing a two um, but as we saw yesterday you know, yesterday wasn't really Joe Taylor's type of game um, when Freddie came on, he was more suited. And I think Tyler Walker probably offers something a little bit different to both Ben and um, and Freddie Draper. So I, I think that he will play a part next season. Dare I say the potential to play a major part next season? The potential to. Yeah, I maybe not quite so bullish, if I'm honest. Um, it's a horrible injury he's had. And, you know, he hasn't played a huge amount of football in the last 18 months or so. And the concern I have is what version of Tyler Walker comes back. Now, do I think it's a last we've seen in his in a Lincoln shirt? No, absolutely not. I think he'd be part of pre-season. I think he'd be part of the team. Um, how effective is it? He, he is, is, I think, is a little bit up in the air. You don't know how much that injury is going to have knocked him back. For me, there's one, one or two things happens. Number one, he becomes part of a rotating front three slash four um, in terms of the, the, the starting two. I think he'll definitely play. If he's effective, brilliant. He'll be part of that for the season. Or he, in his opportunities he gets, he doesn't really impress too much. He looks off the pace, and maybe January, we we see him. We see him leave. I obviously hope that doesn't happen. But with the injuries he's sustained, severity of it, yeah, it's a little bit up in the air at the moment. So yeah, I think. Do I hope that we get the best version of Tyler Walker? Of course. And if we do, then we absolutely get him as part of. He'll be very much a first team 
um, player alongside Freddie Draper and Ben House. I'm just not as confident that that is how it's going to end up, though, of course, I hope it is. So there's a couple of questions I think we've answered, but I'll read them out, but we don't need to answer them because I don't want to miss anybody out. So Andy Pearson says, have we uncovered a diamond in midfield? Baptism of fire for Moylan, uh, quick and did not shy a tackle, which we've answered that, I think, through the course of the podcast. Paul Stalabras says, who, if any of the loan players, should we bring back either on loan or permanently? I think, again, we've kind of answered that. You said Joe Taylor, possibly, but we're not going to go all out for any loan player, I don't think, to bring back. If the opportunity arises, we will. There are still three questions to answer and we are over the hour. So we'll try and be as succinct as possible with these. Um, and the first one. So what I'll do, I'll throw this one just to Chris. I'll then just answer the second one. And then the third one's for both of us. So Chris, just your answer on this. Is Lass as good as people think? Whenever he gets the ball, there's a pocket near me that can't stand him and boo him. This is from uh, Stu Wells, by the way. They boo him, apparently. And others think he's going to be a championship player next year. Me, if he's passing in the final third, can improve, I think, the latter. I'm baffled that anyone would think he's not good. I think Lass yeah. is absolutely superb in the role he plays, attacking wing-back uh, or attacking full-back. I don't know what more you want from him, to be honest. Like, every player misplaces a pass here and there. Um, I think Lass's one-on-one dribbling is probably the only part of his game he needs to improve. And he, and that improved even this week with a little bit of um, one-on-one dribbling that impressed against Shrewsbury. Um, I think you can't criticise his work rate, his, his game understanding and decision of when to bomb on, when to knock inside. Sometimes when he's running with a ball, he'll cut inside and use a decoy on the outside. Sometimes he goes the other way. Lass is absolutely superb at this level. And, and I had the luxury of looking at Scout a week or so ago at this. and. He is in the top, I think, five, maybe four um, wide defenders across all metrics. There's loads of different metrics that are all taken into consideration. And then there's basically like a, a big blanket, all that taken into consideration, who is objectively the best, the second best, the third best, the fourth best. Now, they might all have their own pros and cons. And I think he's fourth or fifth. He's definitely up there. Um, that was how it was last week anyway. So short answer again. Do I think he's as, as good as people think he is? Yes. Yes, I do. I think he's absolutely superb. And he is the sort of player that if he you take him out of the team, you, you have a massive hole then. There's no one else in the team here that can perform how he performs. I like that. Short answer again after I've given a long answer and I'll do a short answer on the end of it. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, like an icing on the top of the... Uh, I, I have just discovered the index on Scout. I didn't realise that existed. And he is the fourth best lateral defender which is kind of wide defender behind cj hamilton luke lee and um boroughs is it harrison boroughs uh, peterborough yeah. that, that's I, and that he's better than dacris cogley who we were or coggles depending on who you are um yeah. who uh was somebody that we were targeting in the summer i'm, I'm quite surprised by that uh, right i'll answer the next one quite quickly it's from chris gooding who impressed me yesterday by turning up in Gwyn's, by the way, still in his posty outfit and shorts. He was in shorts. And there's only postmen that can get away with wearing shorts in this type of weather. If you wear them just recreationally when you come into the ground, you, you're making too much of a statement about yourself. Chris, I'll let you off. Short wearer. Do you think Dylan Duffy would benefit from a loan spell next campaign? Um, I can see Chris desperately wants to answer that. <laughs> um, I... I think he could benefit from one. I don't think he'll get one because I think he's a part of the first team squad and he is getting relatively regular minutes. And in the early part of a season, 
there are more opportunity for minutes, more opportunities for minutes than there are at the last stage of the season. So we keep Dylan Duffy around because he plays three AFL trophy games. He starts those. He starts uh, a game in the League Cup. He probably starts in the FA Cup. He might force his way to start you know, three or four league games, depending on the situation at left wing back. So I think he's kind of been fast-tracked through the loan spell. I don't think that he's somebody that's likely to go out on loan. And I can see Chris nodding. So we're in agreement there on um, Dylan Duffy. Finally, it's one to have a think about. It's from Dara. Dara Imp, uh, who I think Dara Imp also runs a Lincoln site called the Lincoln Loco, which I occasionally have a, a look at as well. So, um, yeah, Dara Imp says the favourite Lincoln League One game you've attended. Um, and that's a good shout. That's a that is really quite a uh, quite a good shout. Now, um, I know I'm Ben House and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. All right, so we actually paused there um, to have a, a discussion because there, it's a great question. It is a great question, and we've picked a couple. Um, now, if I'm gonna. I'll start uh, because one of the ones that really stand out was actually under Danny Cowley when we beat Southend four 0 because I thought we were coming up and we might struggle, uh, and we were comprehensive that day. I seem to think we we were utterly outstanding. Um, so that's one of mine, Chris. Yeah, I've got one. One really sticks in my mind for two reasons, really. Um, and that was the George Grant free kick for the last minute winner against Peterborough United under Michael Appleton. Oh, what a! It was a great game overall, wasn't it? it had everything that game, but that moment just capped it off. So, yeah, in terms of just the spectacle, I thought that was just a, a brilliant day. It sticks in the mind. But also, um, it was a very rare occasion where my dad came along with me. Um, so it's very rare that my old man comes and watches football um, at Lincoln. Um, and it's, I think it's probably the last time he came, actually. And it's just really nice to have those moments, isn't it? I know you, obviously, you and your dad go every week, and I know you, you both treasure that. And, yeah, so for me, there was there was two elements, really, is the fact that it's a bloody good game with a fantastic moment. Last minute, where you can't you can't beat that in football. Yeah, but then to share it with my old man, I think, was um, uh, made it extra special, really. My actual favourite League One game that I've seen Lincoln City play um, was away at Cambridge when we won five one. I think it was just it was great and it was an away day and it was all um, yeah it was outstanding. Honourable mentions beating Sheffield Wednesday three one in the Appleton season yeah. was superb. Beating Derby two 0 under Kennedy um, last season was superb. Beating Charlton 3-1 at our place this season, which you missed, I think was was well worth a mention. And of course, it's hard not to mention, um, and you said it, recent, recently, recently bias. Yeah, Shrewsbury Town on Tuesday night. It was a yeah. brilliant game. Well, we just, it's probably the, the most, we've dominated a game from start to finish, just by far the better team for the full 90 minutes. Um, sort of the most, the most dominant League One performance I've seen Again, you mentioned um, maybe since the Danny Cowley era. Um, obviously, we're discounting anything that happened in the COVID season because we weren't there. We didn't witness it in the ground. Um, so yeah, yeah, Peterborough for me, but Shrewsbury, like I said, recently biased maybe. But that was I was I just came out of Shrewsbury just buzzing, not because you know they were crap. There's no denying that, but we were just so dominant, and it was a real pleasure because you mentioned earlier that ten game unbeaten run that we had under Kennedy, but the, the amount of draws we had and the teams that we couldn't break down. And then, you know, we were just creating chances for fun um, on Tuesday. It just shows how far this this, this this squad's come. So, yeah, but Peterborough wins for me. 
it has come a fair way, but... There goes our playoff hopes. We're one hour, eight minutes and 32 seconds into the Stacey West podcast. Give or take a little bit of time, I suppose, for me trying to sell you McDonald's. We had one game to talk about where the ball was in play for about 13 minutes. I exaggerate, of course. It was 15 or 16. Um, but we managed to drag nearly 40 minutes, 47 minutes out of it. We are still unbeaten in 10. It's our second 10-game unbeaten run in as many seasons. But there's no doubt whatsoever this 10-game unbeaten run has been far more entertaining and far more exciting. And we can talk about negatives and focus on the opposition as much as we want, but I don't think it really takes away um, from what we're doing as a team. And and I don't want it to. I don't want my anger with Steve Evans or or my um, criticism online or, or even on this podcast of, of, of Stevenage to take away from what we actually achieved yesterday and we've achieved over the last 10 games. And I would very much like to revisit that unbeaten run next week at this time and say, when was the last time we were unbeaten for 11 games in the third tier? Because the answer would be very, very different. Fingers crossed that everybody going to Barnsley has a safe trip. Fingers crossed we come back with a point. It may not matter in the grand scheme of things in terms of going up or going down, but it will matter in the grand scheme of things um, to 1,400 estimated Lincoln City fans who are making that journey. Uh, in the meantime, we've played the death march for our playoffs that I think that we could be playing. I don't think there's a soundtrack that says the first shoots of spring. Um, what's it out that one, this one possibly? No, uh, there's not even a soundtrack there for that one, uh, which is interesting. Um, but I think that actually what we're seeing is the green shoots and we can write off the playoff chances all we want. But I think we're in a great position. And yesterday only cemented that I have been Gary Hutchinson. He has been Chris Lamming. And all that remains to be said is up the imps. Up the imps. <laughs> the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.